Chapter thirty six of A Hazard of New Fortunes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Not long after Lent, Fulkerson set before Dryfoos one day his scheme for a dinner in celebration of the success of every other week. Dryfoos had never meddled in any manner with the conduct of the periodical, but Fulkerson easily saw that he was proud of his relation to it, and he proceeded upon the theory that he would be willing to have this relation known. On the days when he had been lucky in stocks, he was apt to drop in at the office on 11th Street on his way uptown and listen to Fulkerson's talk. He was on good enough terms with March, who revised his first impressions of the man, but they had not much to say to each other, and it seemed to March that Dryfoos was even a little afraid of him, as of a piece of mechanism he had acquired but did not quite understand. He left the working of it to Fulkerson, who no doubt bragged of it sufficiently. The old man seemed to have as little to say to his son. He shut himself up with Fulkerson, where the others could hear the manager begin, and go on with an unstinted flow of talk about every other week. For Fulkerson never talked of anything else if he could help it, and was always bringing the conversation back to it if it strayed. The day he spoke at the dinner he rose and called from his door, "'March, I say, come down here a minute, will you? Conrad, I want you, too.' The editor and the publisher found the manager and the proprietor seated on opposite sides of the table. "'It's about those funeral baked meats, you know,' Fulkerson explained, "'and I was trying to give Mr. Dryfoos some idea of what we wanted to do. That is, what I wanted to do,' he continued, turning from March to Dryfoos. "'March here is opposed to it, of course. He'd like to publish every other week on the sly, keep it out of the papers and off the newsstands.' He's a modest Boston petunia, and he shrinks from publicity. But I am not that kind of herb myself, and I want all the publicity we can get, beg, borrow, or steal, for this thing. I say you can't work the sacred rites of hospitality in a better cause, and what I propose is a little dinner for the purpose of recognizing the hit we've made with this thing. My idea was to strike you for the necessary funds, and do the thing on a handsome scale. The term little dinner is a mere figure of speech. A little dinner wouldn't make a big talk, and what we want is the big talk, at present, if we don't lay up a cent. My notion was that pretty soon after Lent, now, when everybody is feeling just right, we should begin to set out our paragraphs, affirmative, negative, and explanatory, and along about the first of May we should sit down about a hundred strong, the most distinguished people in the country, and solemnize our triumph. There it is in a nutshell. I might expand and I might expound, but that's the sum and substance of it. Fulkerson stopped and ran his eyes eagerly over the faces of his three listeners, one after the other. March was a little surprised when Dryfoos turned to him, but that reference of the question seemed to give Fulkerson particular pleasure. What do you think, Mr. March? The editor leaned back in his chair. I don't pretend to have Mr. Fulkerson's genius for advertising, but it seems to me a little early yet. We might celebrate later when we've got more to celebrate. At present we're a pleasing novelty rather than a fixed fact. Ah, you don't get the idea, said Fulkerson. What we want to do with this dinner is to fix the fact. Am I going to come in anywhere? the old man interrupted. You're going to come in at the head of the procession. 
we are going to strike everything that is imaginative and romantic in the newspaper soul with you and your history and your fancy for going in for this thing i can start you in a paragraph that will travel through all the newspapers from maine to texas and from alaska to florida we have had all sorts of rich men backing up literary enterprises but the natural gas man in literature is a new thing and the combination of your picturesque past and your aesthetic present is something that will knock out the sympathies of the american public the first round i feel said fulkerson with a tremor of pathos in his voice that every other week is at a disadvantage before the public as long as it's supposed to be my enterprise my idea as far as i'm known at all i'm known simply as a syndicate man and nobody in the press believes that i've got the money to run the thing on a grand scale a suspicion of insolvency must attach to it sooner or later and the fellows on the press will work up that impression sooner or later if we don't give them something else to work up now as soon as i begin to give it away to the correspondents that you're in it with your untold millions that in fact it was your idea from the start that you originated it to give full play to the humanitarian tendencies of conrad here who's always had these theories of cooperation and longed to realize them for the benefit of our struggling young writers and artists march had listened with growing amusement to the mingled burlesque and earnest of fulkerson's self-sacrificing impudence and with wonder as to how far dryfoos was consenting to his preposterous proposition when conrad broke out mr fulkerson i could not allow you to do that it would not be true i did not wish to be here and-and what i think what i wish to do that is something i will not let any one put me in a false position about no the blood rushed into the young man's gentle face and he met his father's glance with defiance dryfoos turned from him to fulkerson without speaking and fulkerson said caressingly why of course conrad i know how you feel and i shouldn't let anything of that sort go out uncontradicted afterward but there isn't anything in these times that would give us better standing with the public than some hint of the way you feel about such things the public expects to be interested and nothing would interest it more than to be told that the success of every other week sprang from the first application of the principle of live and let live to a literary enterprise it would look particularly well coming from you and your father but if you object we can leave that part out though if you approve of the principle i don't see why you need object the main thing is to let the public know that it owes this thing to the liberal and enlightened spirit of one of the foremost capitalists of the country and that his purposes are not likely to be betrayed in the hands of his son i should get a little cut made from a photograph of your father and supply it gratis with the paragraphs i guess said the old man we will get along without the cut fulkerson laughed well well have it your own way but the sight of your face in the patent outsides of the country press would be worth half a dozen subscribers in every school district throughout the length and breadth of this fair land there was a fellow dryfoos explained in an aside to march that was getting up a history of moffat and he asked me to let him put a steel engraving of me in he said a good many prominent citizens were going to have theirs in and his price was a hundred and fifty dollars 
I told him I couldn't let mine go for less than two hundred, and when he said he could give me a splendid plate for that money, I said I should want it cash. You never saw a fellow more astonished when he got it through him that I expected him to pay the two hundred. Fulkerson laughed in keen appreciation of the joke. Well, sir, I guess every other week will pay you that much. But if you won't sell at any price, all right, we must try to worry along without the light of your countenance on the posters, but we got to have it for the banquet. I don't seem to feel very hungry yet, said the old man dryly. Oh, l'appétit vient en mangeant, as our French friends say. You'll be hungry enough when you see the preliminary little-neck clam. It's too late for oysters. Doesn't that fact seem to point to a postponement till they get back sometime in October, March suggested? No, no, said Fulkerson. You don't catch on to the business end of this thing, my friends. You're proceeding on something like the old exploded idea that demand creates the supply when everybody knows, if he's watched the course of modern events, that it's just as apt to be the other way. I contend that we've got a real substantial success to celebrate now, but even if we hadn't, the celebration would do more than anything else to create the success if we got it properly before the public. People will say, those fellows are not fools, they wouldn't go and rejoice over their magazine unless they had got a big thing in it, and the state of feeling we should produce in the public mind would make a boom of perfectly unprecedented grandeur for E.O.W., hey? He looked sunnily from one to the other in succession. The elder Dryfoos said, with his chin on the top of his stick, "'I reckon those little neck clams will keep.' "'Well, just as you say,' Fulkerson cheerfully assented. "'I understand you to agree to the general principle of a little dinner?' "'The smaller the better,' said the old man. "'Well, I say a little dinner, because the idea of that seems to cover the case, even if we vary the plan a little.' I had thought of a reception, maybe, that would include the lady contributors and artists, and the wives and daughters of the other contributors. That would give us the chance to ring in a lot of society correspondence, and get the thing written up in first-class shape. By the way, cried Fulkerson, slapping himself on the leg, why not have the dinner and the reception both? I don't understand, said Dryfoos. Why, have a select little dinner for ten or twenty choice spirits of the male persuasion, and then about ten o'clock throw open your palatial drawing-rooms and admit the females to champagne, salads, and ices. It is the very thing. Come. What do you think of it, Mr. March? asked Dryfoos, on whose social inexperience Fulkerson's words projected no very intelligible image, and who perhaps hoped for some more light. "'It's a beautiful vision,' said March, "'and if it will take more time to realize it, I think I approve. I approve of anything that will delay Mr. Fulkerson's advertising orgy.' "'Then,' Fulkerson pursued, "'we could have the pleasure of Miss Christine and Miss Mailer's company, and maybe Mrs. Dryfoos would look in on us in the course of the evening. There's no hurry, as Mr. March suggests, if we can give the thing this shape.' I will cheerfully adopt the idea of my honourable colleague." March laughed at his impudence, but at heart he was ashamed of Fulkerson for proposing to make use of Dryfoos and his house in that way. He fancied something appealing in the look that the old man turned on him, and something indignant in Conrad's flush, but probably this was only his fancy. 
he reflected that neither of them could feel it as people of more worldly knowledge would and he consoled himself with the fact that fulkerson was really not such a charlatan as he seemed but it went through his mind that this was a strange end for all dryfoos's money-making to come to and he philosophically accepted the fact of his own humble fortunes when he reflected how little his money could buy for such a man it was an honourable use that fulkerson was putting it to in every other week it might be far more creditably spent on such an enterprise than on horses or wines or women the usual resources of the brute rich and if it were to be lost it might better be lost that way than in stocks he kept a smiling face turned to dryfoos while these irreverent considerations occupied him and hardened his heart against father and son and their possible emotions the old man rose to put an end to the interview he only repeated i guess those clams will keep till fall but fulkerson was apparently satisfied with the progress he had made and when he joined march for the stroll homeward after office hours he was able to detach his mind from the subject as if content to leave it this is about the best part of the year in new york he said in some of the areas the grass had sprouted and the tender young foliage had loosened itself from the buds on a sidewalk tree here and there the soft air was full of spring and the delicate sky far aloof had the look it never wears at any other season it ain't a time of year to complain much of anywhere but i don't want anything better than the month of may in new york farther south it's too hot and i've been in boston in may when that east wind of yours made every nerve in my body get up and howl i reckon the weather has a good deal to do with the local temperament the reason a new york man takes life so easily with all his rush is that his climate don't worry him but a boston man must be rasped the whole while by the edge in his air that accounts for his sharpness and when he's lived through twenty-five or thirty boston mays he gets to thinking that providence has some particular use for him or he wouldn't have survived and that makes him conceited see i see said march but i don't know how you're going to work that idea into an advertisement exactly oh pshaw now march you don't think i've got that on the brain all the time you were gradually leading up to every other week somehow no sir i wasn't i was just thinking what a different creature a massachusetts man is from a virginian and yet i suppose they're both as pure english stock as you'll get anywhere in america marsh i think colonel woodman's paper is going to make a hit you've got it there when it knocks down the sail about one half i shall know it's made a hit i'm not afraid said fulkerson that thing is going to attract attention it's well written you can take the pomposity out of it here and there and it's novel our people like a bold strike and it's going to shake them up tremendously to have serfdom advocated on high moral grounds as the only solution of the labour problem you see in the first place he goes for their sympathies by the way he portrays the actual relations of capital and labour he shows how things have got to go from bad to worse and then he trots out his little old hobby and proves that if slavery had not been interfered with it would have perfected itself in the interest of humanity he makes a pretty strong plea for it march threw back his head and laughed he's converted you 
i swear fulkerson if we had accepted and paid for an article advocating cannibalism as the only resource for getting rid of the superfluous poor you'd begin to believe in it fulkerson smiled in approval of the joke and only said i wish you could meet the colonel in the privacy of the domestic circle march you'd like him he's a splendid old fellow regular type talk about spring you ought to see the widow's little backyard these days you know that glass gallery just beyond the dining-room those girls have got the pot-plants out of that and a lot more and they've turned the edges of that backyard along the fence into a regular bower they've got sweet peas planted and nasturtiums and we shall be in a blaze of glory about the beginning of june fun to see him work in the garden and the bird bossing the job in his cage under the cherry-tree have to keep the middle of the yard for the clothes-line but six days in the week it's a lawn and i go over it with a mower myself march there ain't anything like a home is there dear little cot of your own eh i tell you march when i get to pushing that mower round and the colonel is smoking his cigar in the gallery and those girls are pottering over the flowers one of these soft evenings after dinner i feel like a human being yes i do i struck it rich when i concluded to take my meals at the widow's for eight dollars a week i get good board refined society and all the advantages of a christian home by the way you've never had much talk with miss woodburn have you march not so much as with miss woodburn's father well he is rather apt to scoop the conversation i must draw his fire some time when you and mrs march are around and get you a chance with miss woodburn i should like that better i believe said march well i shouldn't wonder if you did curious but miss woodburn isn't at all your idea of a southern girl she's got lots of go she's never idle a minute she keeps the old gentleman in first-class shape and she don't believe a bit in the slavery solution of the labor problem says she's glad it's gone and if it's anything like the effects of it she's glad it went before her time no sir she's as full of snap as the liveliest kind of northern girl none of that sunny southern languor you read about i suppose the typical southerner like the typical anything else is pretty difficult to find said march but perhaps miss woodburn represents the new south the modern conditions must be producing a modern type well that's what she and the colonel both say they say there ain't anything left of that walter scott dignity and chivalry in the rising generation takes too much time you ought to see her sketch the old-school high and mighty manners as they survive among some of the antiques in charlottesburg if that thing could be put upon the stage it would be a killing success makes the old gentleman laugh in spite of himself but he's as proud of her as punch anyway why don't you and mrs march come round oftener look here how would it do to have a little excursion somewhere after the spring fairly gets in its work reporters present no no nothing of that kind perfectly sincere and disinterested enjoyment oh a few handbills to be scattered around by every other week look out for the next number of every other week every other week at all the newsstands well i'll talk it over with mrs march i suppose there's no great hurry march told his wife of the idyllic mood in which he had left fulkerson at the widow's door and she said he must be in love why of course i wonder i didn't think of that 
but fulkerson is such an impartial admirer of the whole sex that you can't think of his liking one more than another i don't know that he showed any unjust partiality though in his talk of those girls as he called them and i always rather fancied that mrs mandel he's done so much for her you know and she is such a well-balanced well-preserved person and so ladylike and correct fulkerson had the word for her academic she's everything that instruction and discipline can make of a woman but i shouldn't think they could make enough of her to be in love with well i don't know the academic has its charm there are moods in which i could imagine myself in love with an academic person that regularity of line that reason strictness of contour that neatness of pose that slightly conventional but harmonious grouping of the emotions and morals you can see how it would have its charm the wedgewood in human nature i wonder where mrs mandel keeps her urn and her willow i should think she might have use for them in that family poor thing said mrs march ah that reminds me said her husband that we had another talk with the old gentleman this afternoon about fulkerson's literary artistic and advertising orgy and it's postponed till october the later the better i should think said mrs march who did not really think about it at all but whom the date fixed for it caused to think of the intervening time we have got to consider what we will do about the summer before long basil oh not yet not yet he pleaded with that man's willingness to abide in the present which is so trying to a woman it's only the end of april it will be the end of june before we know and these people wanting the boston house another year complicates it we can't spend the summer there as we planned they oughtn't to have offered us an increased rent they have taken advantage of us i don't know that it matters said mrs march i have decided not to go there had you this is a surprise everything is a surprise to you basil when it happens true i keep the world fresh that way it wouldn't have been any change to go from one city to another for the summer we might as well have stayed in new york yes i wish we had stayed said march idly humouring a conception of the accomplished fact mrs green would have let us have the gimcrackery very cheap for the summer months and we could have made all sorts of nice little excursions and trips off and been twice as well as if we had spent the summer away nonsense you know we couldn't spend the summer in new york i know i could what stuff you couldn't manage oh yes i could i could take my meals at fulkerson's widow's or at maroney's with poor old lindau he's got the dining there again or i could keep house and he could dine with me here there was a teasing look in march's eyes and he broke into a laugh at the firmness with which his wife said i think if there is to be any housekeeping i will stay too and help to look after it i would not try to intrude upon you and your guest oh we should be only too glad to have you join us said march playing with fire very well then i wish you would take him off to maroney's the next time he comes to dine here cried his wife the experiment of making march's old friend free of his house had not given her all the pleasure that so kind a thing ought to have afforded so good a woman she received lindau at first with robust benevolence and the high resolve not to let any of his little peculiarities alienate her from a sense of his claim upon her sympathy and gratitude 
not only as a man who had been so generously fond of her husband in his youth, but a hero who had suffered for her country. Her theory was that his mutilation must not be ignored, but must be kept in mind as a monument of his sacrifice, and she fortified Bella with this conception, so that the child bravely sat next his maimed arm at table, and helped him to dishes he could not reach, and cut up his meat for him. As for Mrs. March herself, the thought of his mutilation made her a little faint. She was not without a bewildered resentment of its presence as a sort of oppression. She did not like his drinking so much of March's beer, either. It was no harm, but it was somehow unworthy, out of character with a hero of the war. But what she really could not reconcile herself to was the violence of Lindau's sentiments concerning the whole political and social fabric. She did not feel sure that he ought to be allowed to say such things before the children, who had been nurtured in the faith of Bunker Hill and Appomattox, as the beginning and the end of all possible progress in human rights. As a woman she was naturally an aristocrat, but as an American she was theoretically a democrat, and it astounded, it alarmed her, to hear American democracy denounced as a shuffling evasion. She had never cared much for the United States Senate, but she doubted if she ought to sit by when it was railed at as a rich man's club. It shocked her to be told that the rich and poor were not equal before the law in a country where justice must be paid for at every step in fees and costs, or where a poor man must go to war in his own person, and a rich man might hire someone to go in his. Mrs. March felt that this rebellious mind in Lindau really somehow outlawed him from sympathy, and retroactively undid his past suffering for the country. She had always particularly valued that provision of the law, because in forecasting all the possible mischances that might befall her own son, she had been comforted by the thought that if there ever was another war, and Tom were drafted, his father could buy him a substitute." Compared with such blasphemy as this, Lindau's declaration that there was not equality of opportunity in America, and that fully one-half the people were debarred their right to the pursuit of happiness by the hopeless conditions of their lives, was flattering praise. She could not listen to such things in silence, though, and it did not help matters when Lindau met her arguments with facts and reasons which she felt she was merely not sufficiently instructed to combat and he was not quite gentlemanly to urge. "'I am afraid for the effect on the children,' she said to her husband. "'Such perfectly distorted ideas. Tom will be ruined by them.' "'Oh, let Tom find out where they're false,' said March. "'It will be good exercise for his faculties of research. At any rate, those things are getting said nowadays. He'll have to hear them sooner or later.' "'Had he better hear them at home?' demanded his wife. "'Why, you know, as you're here to refute them, Isabel,' he teased, "'perhaps it's the best place. "'But don't mind poor old Lindau, my dear. "'He himself says that his bark is worse than his bite, you know.' "'Ah, it's too late now to mind him,' she sighed. "'In a moment of rash good feeling, "'or perhaps an exalted conception of duty, "'she had herself proposed that Lindau "'should come every week and read German with Tom.' and it had become a question first how they would get him to take pay for it, and then how they could get him to stop it. 
Mrs. March never ceased to wonder at herself for having brought this about, for she had warned her husband against making any engagement with Lindau which would bring him regularly to the house. The Germans stuck so, and were so unscrupulously dependent. Yet the deed being done, she would not ignore the duty of hospitality, and it was always she who made the old man stay to their Sunday evening tea when he lingered near the hour reading Schiller and Heine and Uhland with the boy, in the clean shirt with which he observed the day. Lindau's linen was not to be trusted during the week. She now concluded a season of mournful reflection by saying, "'He will get you into trouble somehow, Basil.' "'Well, I don't know how, exactly.' I regard Lindau as a political economist of an unusual type, but I shall not let him array me against the constituted authorities. Short of that, I think I am safe. Well, be careful, Basil, be careful. You know you are so rash. I suppose I may continue to pity him. He is such a poor, lonely old fellow. Are you really sorry he's come into our lives, my dear? No, no, not that. I feel as you do about it, but I wish I felt easier about him, sure, that is, that we're not doing wrong to let him keep on talking so. I suspect we couldn't help it, March returned lightly. It's one of what Lindau calls his principles, to say what he thinks. End of chapter 36